Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. We're going to jump right in right now. Here we go. The scripture is Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Rewind. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Is that true? Yes. If that's true, is the reverse true? Yes. Cursed is the nation whose God is not the Lord. I've had the privilege of speaking at some pastor's conferences through the years, and I ask a question. How many of your communities, I ask these pastors, how many of your communities are more righteous than they were 25 years ago? I have never had a pastor ever raise a hand yet. How is that possible? When I graduated from college, now that, that, was, that was just two years after Moses led the children of Israel through the... <laughs> On a secular station, is either ABC, NBC, or CBS, that's all we had back then. On one of those stations, every night at 6 p.m., on the news, a secular station, they would come on with this scripture verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can you imagine that happening today? What has gone wrong? I'm going to say three things have gone wrong. The first one doesn't apply to Awaken, but it's silent pastors and silent church members who aren't speaking out. Now, it doesn't apply to Awaken. In fact, that's why we're at Awaken is because you're so bold and so courageous and willing to stand on the Word of God in every arena, including the governmental arena. George Barna, the most quoted living Christian in in the world, the pollster, tells us that 90% of pastors in a survey acknowledge that the Bible speaks to the cultural, social, political issues of the day. But in that same survey, when he asked the pastors, will you speak out on what the Bible says on the political, social, cultural issues of the day, 90% of them said, no, we will not. There's 324,000 churches, Protestant churches, that is, in America. How many of those are biblical? Well, the answer is about 28%, 100,000 of them. The rest do not adhere to scripture at all. Of those, how many of those have a distinctly biblical worldview? The number's not known exactly, but it could be around 15,000. You see what's happened to the numbers. We went from 324,000 down to 15,000 very rapidly. We do know this, that among people attending church today, 6%, 6%, 6% of people attending church today have a biblical worldview. That is the capacity to apply the scripture to every aspect of life. In fact, the surveys indicate that among pastors, now this is why, again, this doesn't apply to awaken. Praise God. Again, that's why we're here. 41% of American pastors, only 41% have a biblical worldview. But if you want to be really jolted, by the way, George Barna, who I'm quoting, he's, he's, as I indicated, the most quoted Christian. He was in the 830 service this morning, as a matter of fact. You guys have service here at 830. I'm not a morning person. My sanctification does not turn on until 10 a.m. So you're you're okay now, but 830. Who gets up at that time? Answer is my wife and God. But among children's pastors and youth pastors, 12% had a biblical worldview. Want to know why we got a problem in America? But it goes beyond that. It's the silence in the pew. People won't speak out. In Barna's also survey, as another survey, he said, do you speak out? Lay people said, no, we do not. Why? Now, I thought they would say we don't speak out because we're afraid. 
We're afraid of being called a homophobe or transphobe or xenophobe or, 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 or Islamophobe or some phobe. But that's not at all. They said we don't speak out on the issues because we do not know what to say. Wow. When I read that, it, it electrified me. In that moment, I sat down and began writing a book called Well-Versed, laying out the biblical principles to 30 political topics. What does God's word say to everything? Healthcare, welfare, minimum wage, social security, you name it. What does God's word say? We have them available out. We, we actually don't have them available. We have them available for ordering. This happens to be the Spanish version of it. It's out in Hungarian and, and, and Portuguese as well. But I want to encourage you to order the books. And if you'll order the books and get them spread out to people, order quantity, we want to give you some books free with that if you'll order a quantity of those and get them out. I don't make any money on this. We're selling them at my cost, hard cost. Wow. I don't, my income doesn't come from this. I'm just out to save my nation if I possibly can and want to get that out. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to buy a case of them if you would. I don't make more money if you do or don't, but I, it does make an impact on your community. Yeah. And then this one by David Barton, and this is called This Precarious Moment. We deal with all the delicate issues, immigration, uh, racial healing, etc., from a biblical perspective. And then also, I mentioned my wife. My wife's been to Israel 71 times. She has a wonderful Hebrew roots calendar that was fabulous, goes along with the scriptural calendar, and you'll want to pick those up. They're available back there as well. But the goal is to try to equip you how to know how to speak out on those particular issues. And number one was silent pastors and silent pew. Number two is a wrong view of history. How many of you have heard the phrase separation of church and state? Everyone has. It gets quoted all the time. Where is that in the Constitution? It's not there. Where is that in the Declaration of Independence? Not there. Where is that in the Bible? It's nowhere. The, the doctrine of separation of church and state is effectively saying, God, we don't need you in government. We're too smart. Why would we need you? Now, where did the phrase come from? Well, it was originally written by Thomas Jefferson, January the 1st, 1802, to a group of Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, who were concerned that the federal government might intrude into the life of religion or the church. And he said, no, we have no right to. There's a wall of separation that prevents the government from coming into the church. But he did not say the church can't go into the government or religion can't influence government. How do we know he said that? Because he authorized, attended, and blessed Christian worship services that were held every Sunday morning in the U.S. Capitol building. He would put a Bible under his arm, get on his horse at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as president, and ride down Pennsylvania Avenue to attend those weekly services where the worship was provided by the Marine Corps Band. Those services went from 1800 to 1869. He had no problem with religion, the church coming into the government. He did not want the government going into the church. That was the intentionality of that. By the way, we had the privilege of, uh, those services went from 1800 to 1869, and I had the privilege of a friend of mine launching new services in the U.S. Capitol building, July of 2014. We named wow. it the Jefferson Gathering. Uh, there were Wednesday nights at 615 after Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. And by the way, we're going to touch on some of these things in an upcoming conference that Awaken Church is heavily involved in. Let me explain. We have what's called the Future Conference. The Future Conference has 43 speakers. We've got brochures available for you. Pick them up there. It's in Washington, D.C. We invite you to come if you can, July 20 through 22. If you can't, come online and watch with us. 43 speakers. And they're touching on a lot of topics, including some of what we're talking about today. 
But what I want you to know about is we have Pastor Jurgen and Leanne as the official Apostle Prophets pastors of this conference. Now, <clears throat> let me explain to you what that means. It's kind of unusual. And we also have two other Awakened members speaking here. Lisa Dunn, Dr. Lisa Dunn from the Eastlake campus. Uh, Michael Seifert, I think he's from uh, Bresti campus, if I'm not mistaken. They're speaking at this conference. But Jurgen and Leanne have a unique assignment. They're not actually assigned a speaking time per se, but after every speaker, I've blocked off a little time for them, if they're led of the Holy Spirit, to bring a prophetic utterance, an apostolic declaration, an exhortation, a warning, a caution, a prayer, whatever God is speaking, they're to speak that to us in the midst of that conference that goes over a two-day, three-day span. We invite you to pick up some brochures on that. You'll want to tune out online if you can't watch it any other way. There's another thing that caused us to have a false understanding of this separation of church and state. July the 2nd, 1954, what's called the Johnson Amendment, passed on a voice vote with no discussion in the U.S. Senate, named after Lyndon Baines Johnson, then a senator before he was president, from Texas. And it said that no not-for-profit corporation could endorse or oppose a candidate. There are 29 different categories of 501C, 29 different categories of 501C. That's a not-for-profit corporation according to the Internal Revenue Service Code. Only one of them got swept into this, 501C3. What's a 501C3? A church. Now, the chief legislative aide for Senator Johnson said, we didn't have churches in mind. We were just mad at two businessmen who had not-for-profit corporations who opposed us. We wanted to stop them. We didn't even think of churches, but the IRS stepped up and said, you cannot from the pulpit anymore endorse or oppose a candidate. Now, where is that in the Constitution? It's a violation of a First Amendment. The, the government cannot tell any pulpit anything it can say or not say or hold it to that. So consequently, 3,000 Christian attorneys got together and said, we've got to challenge this in court because this is unconstitutional. So thousands of us intentionally defied the Johnson Amendment from the pulpit, endorsed or opposed a candidate, recorded our sermons, mailed it to the IRS. <clears throat> now, what we wanted was a lawsuit because they knew these thousands, these thousands of Christian attorneys knew we could win this. They did not sue us. They just sent back postcards saying, thank you, we received your sermon. So somebody at the IRS must be getting saved. I, I've not seen any evidence of that yet. <clears throat> but there is no right of the government, according to our own constitution and according to the word of God, that says any government has the right to tell any pastor what they can say or not say in their pulpit at any time. That's the second one. Let's go to the last one here, lack of the word. Lack of the word is the problem. What do I mean by that? I'll call him Bill, not his real name. Bill, pastored, I pastored a large church. He pastored a church much larger than mine. Bill stood much taller than me, so he looked down on me both physically and in a condescending fashion one day, and he said to me, I'm not political like you, Jim. I said, Bill, my problem with you is not that you're not political. My problem with you, you is you're not biblical. Let me, let me explain. I had a friend who, she was a runner. She was, she was actually very overweight. She lost a lot of weight, became very slender, very gaunt, and she became a runner. And people would say to her, you've lost too much weight. You're too thin. You're too thin. She finally looked at him and said, you don't recognize healthy. I told that to my buddy Bill. I says, Bill, you don't recognize biblical anymore. I said, let me illustrate what I mean by that. If it was 1860, and I was living in the South, 
and I was a slave. Would I want my slave owner to go to Bill's church or Jim's church? The answer is Jim's church because Jim will address the sin of racism as manifest in slavery and try to bring a halt to it. But you won't because you don't want to be political. Or let me say this. If I was the baby in the womb of a 14-year-old girl who lived next to Planned Parenthood, would I want that young girl to go to Bill's church or Jim's church? The answer is Jim's because I'll do whatever I can to save the life of that baby. I said, I said, Bill, I, I'm ordained in the Wesleyan denomination. Most people haven't heard of that. What is that? The Methodist church before the Civil War was splitting or undecided over how to handle the slavery issue. They finally said, okay, we're going to make a rule. No preacher can discuss slavery because in the South that will offend the slave owners and they'll leave and take their tithe dollars with them. And a group of Methodists says, we will not be silent about slavery. It's evil. It is wrong. And we will not be quiet. And they finally were kicked out or walked out of the Methodist church, formed the Wesleyan denomination. And our early churches were one day's journey apart. They were part of the Underground Railroad because they were smuggling slaves out of the South into the North. One of our laymen, Mekijah McPherson, was actually physically hung. Freedom's Chapel has still been restored, has bullet holes in the side of it. The door of Laodo, Indiana, has, of the church, has bullet holes in the side. We were considered way too political. And in fact, in South Carolina, there was a phrase in one county in South Carolina, we need this rope to hang another Westland. And I said, Bill, you would call that too political. I would call that biblical. Wow. I said, let me go a step further. Wow. Women were treated like property. They didn't even have the right to vote. They couldn't express themselves. I said, the first women's right to vote conference was held in a Wesleyan church in Seneca Falls, New York in 1848. That pastor was considered too political. Actually, he was biblical, wasn't he, Bill? Now, the challenge for all of us in government is to learn to work with government leaders and follow the scripture. The scripture says, pray for those in authority. You've got to know who's in authority if you're going to pray for them. You have to know them. You can't pray for people you do not know. So may the Holy Spirit convict you if you cannot name by name your two senators, U.S. senators, your congressman or congresswoman. You can't name your assembly person or your state senator or your mayor of your respective city. And let's include the board of supervisor from the county board of your particular district, at least starting with those. If you cannot name them, you're not praying for them, I'm quite sure. So I challenge you, if you can't name them, to Google them and begin to pray for them. I want, to meet, I want you to meet some of the people. I want to encourage you right now to have, for them to say, I want the candidates to stand one at a time. And please don't clap until I'm done. I'm going to name four of them that are here right with us right now. I want you to be aware of them. Amy Riker, would you stand? She's running for Sandy. There you go, clapping again. <laughs> hey, stay standing, stay standing. This is a gutsy, courageous woman. And when you, when they're all going to be out there. They're all going to be out there. I want you to greet them in the lobby. Take time, go to them. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I become a part of your team? What can I do? It is very hard running for office, what they're doing. And on top of that, go to biblical, write this down, biblicalvoterguide.com, biblicalvoterguide.com. Dran Reese, where's Dran? Stand Dran wherever you are. Dran right here, raise your hand, is the brains behind that. And it is a major national force to help people know how to vote, who to vote for, for biblical values. So that's Dran Reese and biblicalvoter.com. Amy, stay standing. Let's go to the next one. Tyler Gaffney, Congressional District 52. And, and... 
hand in hand with him, Brian Hawkins, Congressional 25. Brian Hawkins. There you are right here. Now, these two guys, these two guys are pastors. And, and in fact, Brian is in an office, public office right now. So go to them afterwards and get acquainted with them. Ask how you can encourage them. Then your San Diego Board of Supervisors has five members. Two of them vote in biblical, with biblical values. The other three finish the sentence, are destroying our county. One of them who walks in the pathways of godliness is present, and I want you to know him from District 2, Joel Anderson. Would you please stand? Joel Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, this man has taken a beating standing for the truth. He's taken, you would not believe all he has gone through as a senator up in, originally up in Sacramento, and then what he goes through every day in serving you. Get around Joel Anderson and say, how can I pray for you? He'll be out in the lobby. Get acquainted with him. And you need to get Amy, a person of Amy's values, elected if we're going to get this county turned and get it turned quickly. And, 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 and I still think, Probably one of the finest speeches I have ever heard. And I've been involved governmentally since age nine, August the 13th of my ninth year. From that day on, I've been involved governmentally and politically. But one of the finest speeches I've ever heard was done by your campus pastor right here, Becky, when she spoke, when she spoke before the Board of Supervisors. That was great. Now, when you learn to, our ministry is, is working with government officials. That's what we do, as was indicated a moment ago. We've met privately with 93 of the 193 ambassadors at the United Nations. We meet with whatever head of state we possibly can. If God, God has to open the doors. I don't have the clout to do that. I don't have the context of it. So God has to open the doors through friends or whoever, and we try to walk through that door. We try to bring biblical principles of governance to government values. Learn to work with government leaders who are not one of us, but can be used by God. Yeah for biblical principles, if you'll pray for them, surround them, educate them, work with them, do whatever you can to help them operate under biblical principles. Now, let me give some illustrations of that. Here's some privileges we've had. We met with the uh, president of Egypt, President al-Sisi. Now, he's, he's Muslim, but he is rebuilding all the churches that were burned down by the Muslim Brotherhood, and he's doing everything he can to stop the Muslim Brotherhood in that country. He himself is Muslim, but not, of course, part of that. Kurdistan, Prime Minister Barzoni, uh, he's a man. This is a, a Muslim who loves freedom, loves liberty, loves the United States, loves Israel, loves freedom, and, and is passionate in love with the Jews. This is, this is a very unusual situation. Uh, the King of Jordan, the King of Jordan, he's a Muslim as well. But he's, he, they used to fight Israel. Now they're close friends with Israel. We met with Prime Minister Netanyahu at Israel several times, three times, in, in, in fact. And with the exception of his rulings on COVID, he gave great leadership to the entire world. Honduras, Hernandez was the leader there, giving good leadership. Brazil, Yair Bolsonaro, pray for this man. He was stabbed during the elections, during the campaigning. He had to run his campaign from his cell phone, laying flat on his back in a bed, in a hospital bed. And he's had lots of surgeries. And I was with him not too long ago after he'd been in office for a while, and the exhaustion is really manifested. He's known as the Trump of the tropics, and he is, he is as brutally treated as Donald Trump ever was. It is astounding, the attempts on his life. He's facing a tough election in October. Pray for President Bolsonaro. 
the country of Brazil, which is more than half of South America, could flip and go for, like Venezuela in a heartbeat. Yeah. number of countries have gone socialistic there just recently. Yeah. And then in addition, at Guatemala, we met with Jimmy Morales, the president. He's, he's has an entertainer background like Donald Trump. Not one of us in that sense, but he ruled with biblical principles. Wow. And if we go to the, the one who followed him, we met with him, Giamatti. Giamatti is not one of us, but he's fiercely committed to biblical principles. In fact, President Giamatti, I would contend, is the second most biblically grounded government of the 193 governments in the world today. Wow. Uh, this man has stood in defending life in the womb and marriage, and our U.S. State Department, which is profoundly corrupt, our U.S. State Department, attacks viciously when anybody stands for life in the womb and marriage as being one man, one womb, and one man, one woman. And what they've gone through has been staggering. I take you to Bolivia. There was a prayer meeting that erupted in the streets, a million and a half, and they were able to literally drive out the socialist dictator, and she came into power. Janine Agnes came into power, six in succession, because five of them fled the country, and she came into power for one year. She's a godly woman, but the socialists take, took back control, have come back in, and, and, and literally thrown her in prison. Pray for Janine Agnes. We need a miracle. We need a miracle for her life to be saved, what she's under. Hungary, I would contend, is the most biblically grounded government in the world. Victor Orban just won. Go to the next one. Just, he just won the election there. Praise God. Tristan Asbeth, his, his task on the cabinet, his goal, his purpose is, listen to this, is to find Christians anywhere they're being persecuted in the world and go save them. This is a country of only 9 million people, yet they're saving Christians all around the globe. 80% of people around the world are being persecuted for their religion. 80% of those are Christian, and this little country is trying to save them all, do whatever they possibly can do. On top of that, they're for protecting life in the womb and marriage, one man, one woman, and the rest of Europe hates them for their stand on this. And here's what they do. They put their money where their mouth is because they know a society will prosper if marriage is honored and then having babies. They know that God blesses that. So if you will get married and have babies, if you have two, they'll cancel half your student debt. If you have three, they'll cancel all your student debt. If you get married and have babies, they'll help you buy your house. If you get married and have babies, they'll help you buy a van. They want you to fill it with babies. <laughs> Some of you want to move to Budapest right now. I think he's moving. He's going there. Ukraine. When you think of Ukraine, don't think of just the corruption. There's an outbreak of good things. I don't have their picture up here, but outbreak of good godly things happening in Ukraine. And President Trump, I had the privilege of serving on his faith advisory board. I can't defend his tweets, but that man led us in the right way over and over. It was amazing. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Why in the governments of the world, every place my wife and I have traveled, every place in the world, they're attacking marriage. Why? Now listen to this very carefully. Genesis 1, God established male and female. In Genesis 2, he established one flesh marriage, male and female. In Genesis 4, he established procreation, having babies. So the enemy came along and starts killing the babies first with abortion in the ruling of 1973. And then in 2015, Supreme Court destroyed the definition of marriage. And then in 2020, the Supreme Court destroyed the notion of male and female specificity the way God ordained it. Why in the world do you think that they, the hatred for marriage everywhere you go, something as noble as marriage of one man, one woman, why is it hated around the globe? Well, let me pose a question to you. 
Is God male or female? The answer is neither. The writers of Hebrew and the scripture depict him as masculine with great strength at times. Other times they depict God with femininity as a womb giving birth, as a breast nourishing a baby, with the feminine characteristics of nurture. And so it's the full spectrum. That means that no male by himself is a full representation of the full spectrum of the image of God. No female by herself is a full representation of the full spectrum of the image of God. It's only as male and female, the two complementary halves of humanity come back together and complete in the institution of covenantal marriage that now they've restored to what was originally established and they express a full image of the spectrum of God. That's part of the reason for the sexual attraction of a man for a woman is the capacity to complete what was actually created and broke apart. Let me explain what I mean by that. The traditional view is here's God created Adam, Adam, he took a rib, and he created Eve. The English sounds like that, but the Hebrew text in Genesis 1 and 2 does not say that. What it says is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God created Adam. Now, not capital A, Adam, but small a, Adam. That's what it said. And by the way, if you have an NIV Bible translation, the foot, it has footnotes of the very things I'm covering you with the Hebrew word. And so in Genesis 2, 7, God created Adam, humankind. Don't think Adam, male, but Adam, humankind. He looked at that in verse 19 and says, it's not good. It's the only time he looked at created order that he had made and said, it's not good. What was not good? He says, it's as one. It's alone. It's as one. It has no capacity for relationship. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has capacity for relationship. But Adam, humankind, this had no capacity for relationship. It was as one. And then we have, in the next couple of verses, Genesis 22, 21, 22, what's jokingly called the splitting of the Adam. He then takes not, not the rib. The rib, that word is, picture the word Tesla, the car. Now switch the S and E around. And the silent T, it's Selah. He took the, the side, it means side or half. He took the side or half of Adam, and now he has femininity, and now he has masculinity. And that desire to come back together, male and female fitting together, is that sexual attraction. Part of that is the notion of wanting to be a representation of the full spectrum of the image of God. Now, let me go a step further. Let's look at the Hebrew words. Bring up the slide here, the Hebrew words. Here we go. The top word is ish. Ish, man. And from Hebrew, it's right to left. So it's aleph, yod, sheen. Right to left. That's the word for man. Uh, how, and, and isha, woman. Now, where did it come up with the word woman? God, uh, Adam took one look at Eve and he went, whoa, man. Okay, bad joke. <laughs> she took one look at him and went, ish, and it stuck. Okay. <laughs> okay. So ish is aleph, yod. That's the only thing you're going to remember from this sermon right there. I can tell you. <laughs> I know this crowd. Okay. Aleph, Yod, Sheen. That's man. Now, Isha, woman, is Aleph, Sheen, Hey. Now, look at this. There's one letter that's in this one up here that's not here. It's Yod, the middle one. There's one letter that's in this line that's not up there. And it's Hey. Think of Y-H. Yod, Hey. If you take those out and put them together, that's the word that's in your Bible 6,800 times in your Old Testament alone, the word for God. Yahweh. It's as man and woman come together, they've been marked with yod hay upon them. They're now a full spectrum of the image of God. Two men cannot do that. Two women cannot do that. Go to the next slide. 
Let's rewind that. Let's take the yod out of man, bring it down here. The hay out of woman, bring it down here. Yod, hey, vav, hey. That's the full name for Yahweh. Yod, hey is the fun, fundamental root word for God. Now let's go to the next slide. If you're following me so far, you have this and you've downloaded it in your cell phone so you can follow it a little bit later if you want to. Let's repeat that. Yod, hey is God or Lord. The yod comes from out of male. Uh, hey comes out of a woman here. Hey. Now if you remove yod, hey out of them, what you have left is Aleph Shin, which is the word for fire. Esh, for fire. Is fire good or bad? Well, in 2003, a fire swept through San Diego and burned down 2,800 homes. It can be terrible. But if it's contained, it can be good. Give me light right now. It cooked your meal, drove your car. Yep. It's running the PA system. Properly contained fire is a good and wonderful thing. Out of control fire between a man and a woman outside the context of covenantal marriage it will be detrimental. It'll burn them. It'll harm them and do great damage to everybody around them. But within the context of covenantal marriage, the act between a husband and wife and a physical intimacy is a holy, righteous act. Let's go to the next screen. We'll make the case for that a little bit stronger. Here we go. Now let's repeat. Isha, woman. You see hey up there? Man. You see yod, the green letter? Now we take yod, hey, vav, hey. We got Yahweh. So coming from man and woman, we have the name for Lord, and then we have ish, fire. If you remove yod hey, out, all you've got left is fire. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> I'm going to take you now to the word covenant. Think covenant marriage. Contracts can be broken. They shouldn't be, but they are. Covenant, there's no way out. A covenant is forever. So we have the word covenant. It's pronounced berit. Remember, it's from right to left. Now we're going to split. This is the word for covenant in Hebrew. It's in your Bible many, many, many times. We're going to split the word apart and put something in the middle. We're going to put two letters, two letters. Watch the next slide. There we've split berit apart. Two letters over there, two letters right here. And now we've tucked the word fire or ish up in the middle of it. This is now the sexual attraction of a male and a female within the covenant of marriage parametered with right boundaries, this is a good, holy, righteous act. What is it? By the way, everything I'm learning, everything I'm teaching you, I learned from three Jewish rabbis who taught me this. What, where's the word Bereshit in your scripture? The word Bereshit is in your Bible. Where is it in your Bible? It's the first word. The very first word in Genesis 1-1 is Bereshit. It's translated in the beginning. And my Jewish rabbi friend said to me, Jim, tucked in the very first word of the Bible is the reality that God made man and woman with an attraction towards each other, that when they come together, complement and have the full description of God's image within the context of covenant, that's in the first word of your Bible. But if I were Satan, I'd want to destroy marriage. This whole destruction of marriage, it's not about Republican versus Democrat or right versus left. It's about right versus wrong, good versus evil. It's about God versus Satan. This is a cosmos issue. This is the whole globe. This is the whole universe is caught up in this battle because marriage, man and woman, rightly expressed, is to be an expression of the very image, the full spectrum of the image of God. But that's just Genesis. Genesis starts with the marriage of a man and a woman. And we jump to the Revelation, and it closes 
with a marriage of a bride and a groom. Let's unpack that just for a little bit. All of history, all of history, now fasten your seatbelt, all of history is racing towards one event. All of history is going towards one event. There's only one thing that matters. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a huge wedding about to take place. All of history is going towards that event. Now, God has one kid. And if you only got one kid, you really care who's going to marry your kid. And so God's got his boy, and he's got this bride that he's getting ready for his boy. And that bride needs to be prepped. And the culmination of history, marriage supper of the Lamb, is Jesus and the covenanted people of God coming together in marriage. That's what all of history is going towards. And so consequently, everything that is happening is going and being planned towards that right there. However, most of us don't have a grasp of what that would look like. How in the world would Jesus and the church come together? And, and did, did God look down on planet Earth and go, hmm, how do I teach the people about the culmination of history? Let's see. Oh, they understand marriage. So I'm going to pick on marriage, and I'm going to borrow that metaphor from them and apply it to heaven. No, it's just the opposite. The full marriage, the real marriage, you have not seen yet. Capital M marriage has not occurred yet. This was created before the earth was. The plan for Jesus and the covenanted people of God to come together as one has always been God's plan. Capital M marriage. So to help people understand that which they can't comprehend, Jesus and the church coming out, how does that work? He created on earth an appetizer course, hors d'oeuvres. And so we have, for example, John and Becky's marriage and their wedding. And they come together as a husband and a wife. You and I can't comprehend what's like Jesus and the church coming together. How's that? What's that? How's that going to look? But I can look at them and go, oh, I understand that. Wow, that's joyous. That's, that's wonderful. That's incredible. So it's something like that is what we're headed towards. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, was writing, husband, treat your wife this way, wife, treat your wife this way, this husband, wife, husband, wife. And then all of a sudden, he throws us a curveball. Verse 32 says, you think I'm talking about marriage on earth. You're wrong. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. But you can't understand it. He says, it's a mystery. It's such a mystery that, I'm going to paraphrase, God established marriage on earth. So when I talk about the culmination of history, capital M marriage, the real marriage, Jesus and the covenanted people of God coming together, you kind of got to grasp by looking at the examples on earth. All of history is to prepare you for that event. But if I were Satan, I'd want to destroy marriages on earth so you wouldn't understand that. I would destroy it with pornography. I would destroy it with divorce. I would destroy it with homosexuality, with transgenderism. I would even get academia against it. I would get the government against it. I would get the Supreme Court against it. I would get even athletics, entertainment against it. I would get the business world again. I would get everybody attacking marriage everywhere I could. So there would be no capacity for people on earth to grasp what real marriage is so they couldn't see what the consummation of history wow. is really going to be like. Wow. I have people say to me from time to time, said, well, wait a minute, Jim. Why is there no marriage in heaven? I said, are you kidding me? Heaven is marriage. That's what the whole thing is. It's Jesus and the covenant people of God coming together. They say, well, why is there no sexual expression in marriage? In heaven, rather. Why is there no sexual expression in heaven? I said, listen to me very carefully. God ordained the institution of marriage with the physical intimacy 
of the sexual act of a husband and wife coming together, experiencing the ecstasy and delight and joy they do as a physical representation of the spiritual reality of being in the presence of Jesus. Wow. Let me rewind that. Fasten your seatbelt. Some of you are a little bit shocked right now. Some of you are a little nervous right now. God ordained the act of marriage. Ash, fire, within Berit, covenant, Bereshit, first book. He ordained that expression sexually between a husband and a wife as a representation of the ecstasy physically that portrays the spiritual reality of what it's going to be like in the culmination of all of history when Jesus and the church come together as one. For our book on heaven and the afterlife, I've interviewed my co-author and I interviewed quite a few people who had experienced near-death experience, crossed over to heaven, came back, gave reports. Every one of them described the ecstasy. They couldn't come up with the words, the thrill, the joy. They said every, every leaf on the tree was singing and was bright. Every blade of grass was indescribable. They, they, they couldn't, they, they said, I cannot describe the ecstasy. The joy was overflowing. God ordained that physical moment between husband and wife as a picture of Psalm 1611, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is going to be, in fact, we even use marital bed language to describe the culmination of history. We call it the consummation. We call it the climax. God has ordained marriage as this incredible picture. But if I were Satan, I would want to destroy in Genesis the image of God. And if I were Satan in Revelation, I'd want to destroy every marriage I could so nobody had any capacity to imagine what it's going to be like in that day when we're actually with Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, mistakenly, that Jim is trying to produce some political activist out of this sermon. That is wrong. That would be so understimulating to me. Some might think, well, he's trying to produce some little conservatives to run around the country. No. Some nice little patriots. No, those are all good. But Satan is not really bothered by it. In fact, he's just annoyed by you. He swats you away like a fly. What I'm trying to produce in this sermon is people who are radicals for Jesus Christ, plain clothesmen in the Jesus revolution, the only revolution that will ultimately conquer the hearts of humankind. You become so filled with his spirit, and then you become so absorbed with his word, so filled with his word, his application of his word to every arena of life, a biblical worldview, the governmental, the political included. You speak it with boldness. You speak it with force. You declare over your communities, over your nation, over your county, and you declare the word of God everywhere you go. And the word, the word is the answer. It's the word that drives truth. It's the word that brings righteousness, words that bring healing, words that brings wholeness to a community. That's what I want to produce. But in order to do that, you've got to be in Christ Jesus. You've got to be walking with him. You've got to be fully aligned with him. Many of you are. Some of you might not be. And this, this is your moment. Listen carefully. I'm going to wrap this up very quickly. This moment is for you. And everything I've preached is for this one moment, for you to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Somebody here, I don't know who you are. God knows who you are, and you know who you are. Somebody here, this moment, needs to make a commitment and get serious about God and get into the same. This is the time to do it. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if what I'm saying makes sense to you, what I'm going to ask you to do is pray, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. 
I ask you to become my savior. Clean up the mess I've made in my life. I ask you, Lord, to become Lord, boss, in charge of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I want to be a part of that army in the final day. I want to be a part of that church that gets married to Jesus. I want to know that myself firsthand. In Jesus' name I pray. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.